Welcome to the Conquering Truth Podcast. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So tonight, it's close to the end of 2020, and a lot of people are looking back at the year and saying what a horrible year it is, that, that there was a pandemic that shut down the world, that, that there was violence in the street for you know, more than 100 days in places like Portland. There was a division among the country that, we, that people are saying we've never seen before. And that, that just in every way that it was a terrible year. But yet the, the Bible says in Philippians 4.4 that we're always supposed to rejoice in the Lord, that we're to rejoice. So when we look back at a year like this, how are we to fulfill that Bible commandment and at the same time be realistic about what the year was like? Yeah, the scripture definitely tells us to rejoice. Even when you're being persecuted, you're supposed to rejoice. Even when you're being led off to be to be martyred, you're supposed to rejoice. And that contrasts sharply with the current mood of our culture where I think it started a few years ago and this is kind of the pinnacle where it's just kind of like collective societal depression that this is horrible that the year is horrible, that we can't wait for next year, and then next year ends up also being horrible. And it just, and there's, like, optimism is, is dead in, in a lot of circles. And there's articles about how just terrible the year is, just, and not even this year. This year is kind of, in some ways, an unusual year, but it, it's just the pinnacle of what's been going on before, you know. Trump is our president, this, that, and the other, and everything is horrible. And that's not how the Bible says we're supposed to be living, even in 2020. I think it really helps if you start with the sovereignty of God. If you can believe that God is in control of everything and that God has caused 2020 to be what it was, that really helps. It doesn't—and it doesn't gloss over anything. I mean, there's still hard things that happen, and there are people who are really suffering and people who genuinely suffered. But if you start with the fact that God's in control, nothing is a surprise to God— God knew coronavirus was coming. God knew that governors would shut down their states. God knew the outcome of the election before it happened. He even ordained it. God knew that wildfires were going to hit. None of this surprised him. And he said, this is what I'm giving you this year. What are you going to do with it? And, you know, even to take a step beyond that, right, Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. So we're not even supposed to say this is a bad year. We're, we know by faith that it was a good year. So we start out with that premise because it was a good year. It was a good year for the church of Jesus Christ because God writes the history for the church and it was a good year for the church. So part of what you need to do when you look back at a bad year, you know, that the world is saying is a bad year, you have to look at it and say, so what was God doing? Because by thinking in terms of what was God doing, God always does good. It's a, that's a hard verse to say at a time like this because— I don't know. I say it all the time. Well, <laughs> I, I know what you mean. And, I mean, it's, it's the best verse for a circumstance like this. But it's a verse that we're really comfortable with when everything's actually going okay as best we can see with— a, just eyes of flesh, not eyes of faith. So you can say that verse to somebody who just got a raise or who just had a baby. It's a lot harder to say that to somebody who's suffering. But that's what it's there for. That verse is there for those hard things. That verse is there so that when things don't look like they're going well, you can lean back into it and say, the Bible says all things work together for good for God's people. And we need that right now. We need somebody saying all things. Coronavirus works together for good. Wildfires in California work together for good. I don't necessarily know always, but that's what we're here on this podcast for, is to kind of talk through how did 2020 work together for good, for God, for his people, and his church? And there's lots of ways that we can see it. It's just that a lot of times we don't want to see it because it's a painful answer. For instance, most churches in this country were shut down. Well, that means something, because God said that was good to shut down the corporate worship of the church. Well, that says something about what God thinks about the corporate worship of the church. And if you are being chastened, if you're being punished, you don't think it's good, but it's good for a child that's disobedient to be punished. That is good for the child. And it's only beneficial if that child repents, though. 
So if we don't look at it and say all things work together for good, then what we start to say is, well, these are just random happenstance. They just happen to come along. So why should we respond to it instead of saying, we're being spanked. We should respond to being spanked. And that's what, what I was going to say is I think there's a part of it where we have forgotten the relationship that we have with God. We've forgotten that. I mean, there's, it, you know, we live in a culture where a lot of people don't spank their children. And so because people don't, I mean, even among Christians, I mean, we were, I'm part of a, a group called Reform Parenting. And in that group, there are a decent number of people who say spanking does not work. And there's this part of it where, I mean, but as a parent, there are times where I look at my children and there are times where I realize that I've either been letting things go or just there are things that have been, they've been doing. And while I don't like spanking them, I am pleased by the results of spanking and it pleases me to go and spank my children. And so there are times where I, I sit down with my wife and we talk about what's been going on. She goes, you know, there's been this, there've been these issues going on with several of the children. We need to really deal with it. We need to. And so we talk about it. We come up with a strategy and then we start doing it. And for the children, all of a sudden, what's been pleasant ceases to be pleasant because someone is dealing with their sin. And I'm doing it for their good during the time period that we're doing it. It's not pleasant. And I think it's 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 really easy to think about it from the perspective of a parent. But when you're the child, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that's – and this is why that's God – That's part of why we need to think about it like right. children and, and, to remember yeah. we're the child. And this is why God gives us the role of being parents. Or be, I mean, how many people who own businesses or run companies haven't had times where there were things going on they had to deal with? And they say, I'm going to start doing this. And this isn't going to be pleasant. This, you know, this, this project is out of control. And I'm going to have to do things to bring the project back under control. And so those are realities. And I think people understand them. But we, so I mean, when you say this verse, all things work together for good, what we want to say is, is all things work together for, all things are pleasant while they're happening. And that is just absolutely not true. And we should understand that. The church should be more mature enough to understand that. And one of the things that, that's pretty clear when you have death, right? Because, you know, the, the, the media loves to report the death statistics about COVID, regardless right. of how accurate or inaccurate and confused they are and what they're measuring. They just want to measure something to say, look at, look at death. And we need to remember what God says, right? In Ecclesiastes 7, he says it's better to go in the house of mourning than the house of feasting. One of the things that happened is people were confronted with the idea that people die. People haven't died at that much greater of a rate than, than normal this year. You look statistically, it's not that significant. But yet, how much more have people talked about death and thought about death this year versus other years? And the reality, the gospel is about eternal life. It's about being freed from the fear of death. And so one of the great blessings of this year is people have been really considering death. And now I don't think the church has necessarily done a great job in responding to that, but God has opened this huge opportunity to talk about death that, that isn't usually there in our society where we try to, like, shove it off to the side and pretend like it doesn't happen. Now, there's people that are just petrified with fear, even though the fear is largely irrational, but they're petrified with fear because they're afraid they're going to die. And so God has opened the door for the gospel to be preached in a different way because people are actually thinking about death. And that's why it's better to go in the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Right. And it's a, it's a time where people have had to look and say, well, you know, there's a risk of death. Well, how much am I, what am I willing to risk death to do? Am I willing to risk death to see my family? Am I willing to risk death to go to church? And there's a whole list of things of if, if, I, if people are believing that there is this risk out there, yeah, it, it's causing a reevaluation of, of priorities. And what we've seen is that most people's priorities are to save a life that isn't really worth living. Right? How long do you want to be locked in a box? Right. You know, how many, how many years? Is it worth 50 years of being locked in a box in order to, to protect your life so that you make your life miserable in order to protect it? But yet we're a very confused nation about death, right? I mean, we murder our babies in the womb and think nothing of it. We... We then try to protect the elderly who are about to die so that we cause all those people that are young that could be out doing things and could be out living their life, we lock them in buildings so that the old people who are already in buildings, that they're protected. And we're very confused about what, what it even means to live and what it means to protect life. And 
we're just a very confused society. And I think that's been made really clear this year. And that's a real blessing. One of the things that, that in just in general, when you think about these kind of things is a lot of times God uses events to reveal sin. And people go, the event is terrible. For instance, a woman gets pregnant out of wedlock. And people say it's terrible she got pregnant. No, it was terrible she fornicated. The baby is a blessing. That's right. what the Bible says. But yet the, the revealing of the baby reveals the fornication. The sin was the problem. Right. And so people are looking and they're seeing the response to things and they're saying the response. But the issue is, is that our national character is being revealed. Our nat- natural confusion is being revealed. And we're a right. very confused nation. And there are benefits. I mean, I remember, I mean, a really mild example is, I mean, years ago when kind of Calvinism was on the rise in the church, someone was talking about it, I think, in the the Southern Baptist Convention, and they said, you know, it's causing a lot of division. And one of the people said, one of the benefits is church splits are actually over are for a good reason now. You know, churches used to split over stupid, you know, things like the color of the carpet, and now people are actually arguing about the nature of God. And so there's this part of it where you look at it and you go, this has been very harmful to the church. And then you step back and you go, has it? Because depends how you define church. It depends on how you define, right, what the church is. And is, is, is it in reality revealing the church? Is it causing people to ask themselves, you know, what do I think about worship? What does God require of us for worship? And the church comes out of it stronger. I mean, I remember f- about f- was it five years ago now, we went through a really ugly church split. And I remember in the middle of it thinking, this is horrible. This is so horrible. But I remember God showing me coming out of it going, this was a really useful time. This was an incredibly useful time to realize things that you actually believe, to see the measure of specific people and see how they dealt with God, to see how you yourself dealt with it, and to see how God is glorified. I mean, and so it's very easy to say something's bad. But, I mean, it, was, it wasn't just allowed to happen. God did it, and he's doing it for a specific reason. And by definition, by biblical definition, it's not bad for the church. Right. It can't be, because God doesn't do things that are bad for the right. church. They might seem bad, and our purpose as believers is to say, okay, this looks bad, but what's God doing here? Right. Is he testing us? Is he disciplining us? I would say 2020, yes. <laughs> right, in a pretty light discipline, in a in a, in a, gen, in a in a real way. But I mean, but still discipline. I mean, yeah, in, in the sense that it could be a lot harder. And if we don't learn the lessons now, just like with your kids, yep, you get more intense with the discipline. I think to to go back to kind of the point that Charles was just making is, you know, this created a lot of divisions in churches, and you know, Paul writes that. Yeah, there must be divisions among you to show who is approved. Right. And all of a sudden you have these churches, and I've talked to a few pastors, and they're all, we're not struggling with it so much, but a lot of other churches are struggling with, do we meet or do we not meet? And there's people who are going, oh, we have to meet, we have to worship God. And there's people going, we can't meet, we can't worship God. Well, that's a pretty serious division in churches and those divisions are good because people have to ask themselves the question, how important is worship? Are you willing to risk your life to worship? And now I want to add to that, eternal life is about worship. So are you afraid to go to the state where you will constantly worship because you want to preserve being in this world because of your love of the world? Because I'm not sure why else you'd say it's not worth the risk that if I go worship God, then maybe I'll go worship God all the time because that's really what the risk is. I think there's another positive effect on churches, too, and even in among some churches where people are saying, yeah, we need to shut down, but a lot of people are saying, you know, I've never realized how important the meeting of the church was, and even if they are saying, or were saying, it is a time where we need to not be meeting, but people were saying, we're, we're missing this. We never realized how much we needed to go to Sunday morning, how a Zoom call is not the same, and how once you know the church does open up, how how great it is, and it's it's something that that is a, is a good way in that way to to realize how how important that is. Yeah, it's really good when you've got people who are genuine believers for God to shake up their apathy a little bit and pull something back and make you realize that it really was a good thing, and and to increase your desire for that. I'd say there's 
there's two other things here that are probably both worth talking about at length as far as what he's doing with the church. And one is he's purifying it. And that relates to the divisions. We need to divide the church. The point of dividing it is to see who's actually going to really invest in the worship of God and who's going to be swayed by the cares of the world. And the other thing is, is it, you know, and, and, none, and I have no idea how this is going to play out. I don't know the future, but I would say I think God's preparing his pure church for something else. Because, which might be more judgment. <laughs> which might be more judgment. But, I mean, right now you've had, you've had churches who, because of coronavirus, because of a relatively light event in the, the measure of freedom of religion debates History, that yeah. the church has had since it existed, this is a relatively small one. And you've had the church had to reignite some of those and revisit some of those questions and say, hey, you know, when the civil magistrate says you can't gather to worship God— and God says, gather to worship me, who are you going to obey? And people have had to talk about that in a case where, in a sense, the consequences weren't that big, but someday they might actually be that big. Someday the sheriffs may actually want to arrest you. They may actually want to take your buildings away. And, and right now in places like China, that's already happening. All we're doing is getting a small taste in the Western world of things that have been happening in the Eastern world. I would say, I mean, I, the, it looks like to me like the civil magistrates used coronavirus as an opportunity to just see how big they can be and to test just how much control can we take? What do we really have power over? And there's a portion of the church that's been willing to push back and say, no, not here. This is a place where God rules, and you can't tell God no, and we're going to obey God rather than men. Yeah, I mean, having a having a, a a trial trial run before a potential more serious test in the future exactly. is a, is a good thing. The government may have reacted in a lot of different ways, but one of the things that was just going on across the board, and I think we'll probably I think this will probably come up multiple times in different things that we do, is people have just been responding to their fear, and 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 their fear has just been snowballing. I mean, there's a part of it where, you know, the government in the beginning may have thought they were going to have a handle on this and they were going to use it in a certain way. And I think all throughout they continue to kind of react and try to use it. But I don't think they've been in control as much as they've been trying to figure out how to manage it. And then and then you well, see people stoked at some at the beginning. Right. And then and then, and then people's, fire, and then people's, the people's fear turned towards them and then they realized there was nothing they could do. And then what did the, you know, it's. And then what do we do? You know what I mean? And it's, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I mean, I imagine there will be, there will be, it will be worth looking back on this for years to come at the way the church responded, at the way the government responded, and actually looking at information as, I mean, because it hasn't been the, you know, no one person has been in control of this. God has been in control of this. And I think the church needs to look at it and come to grips with the fact that God has been in detailed control of this from day one and he always is i think part of it is for years we've just the church has been just other years have been a lot more fun because the church has been we've been able to play i mean we've literally had time to play and as opposed to being about the work of god and i think that's that's pretty significant it's teaching the church what do they actually fear because you talk about the society was, they were stoking fear and trying to build it up. And then I would say that it got out of control like a wildfire. And now right. they're going, how do we put this out? We don't know what to do. And so maybe if we have masks for 90 days and all of a sudden people will calm down and think, you know, and so they're trying to figure out ways to stop the fear that they started. Right. But we, from the church's perspective, and I think a lot of us, I know, it, you know, there were times that it happened to me where you hear all these horrible things and you go, should we be meeting, right? I mean, right. It, there's actually the thought, is this danger? As the elder of the church, am I going to lead, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the people in Reformation Baptist Church to all die? <laughs> and it crosses your mind. I mean, it's reasonable to cross your mind. And, and it really is causing the church to think about what do they fear? And that is a tremendous blessing. Because in the end, you know, fear is central to religion. Do you fear God? Do you fear man? Right? Do you worship God? Do you worship man? Right. Do you fear the world because it's going to kill you with a disease, or do you fear God who sends the disease? Right. And it really 
causes Christians to step back and go, what do I really fear? And that's a great blessing that we're forced to go and ask ourselves, what do we really fear? Especially when the fear in a lot of ways isn't that significant. It's everybody else that wasn't facing death that's now all of a sudden thinking, how bad is this? Am I going to die? What does it mean to die? And really facing our fears and to have your fears clarified is a great blessing from God. So coronavirus was a good thing? Sure. (laughs) I'm not going to argue with that, Jonathan. You know that. (laughs) Another thing that I think that it really showed is is selfishness. We can start with our culture, right? I mean, my wife called the the local city council or wrote an email to the local city council saying, how can you lock everybody down or how can you force everybody to wear masks? And, And one woman on the council responded and said, I'm sick. I'm elderly. If I go out, I might die. How dare you not wear a mask to protect me? Well, how about she stays home would be the obvious solution. And that's what's going on in our society, but we shouldn't ignore the fact that that's also showing up very much in the church. And the self-centeredness of people in the church is because there's churches that aren't meeting because some of the members go, well, I'm elderly. I might die if I go. Instead of going, I'm elderly. I need to protect myself to stay home, but I want the rest of you to meet. And so it's really facing, causing people to to really look at themselves and say, do they esteem others better than themselves or do they think they're the most important thing in the world? And our society is teaching us and saying, you know, if you're in a nursing home, that means everybody in the economy needs to shut down. You need to shut down all businesses to protect people in nursing homes. Not very wise, but yet that's what we're doing because we become a very self-centered culture. And the church has adopted it. I mean, in the end, there's a part of it where I mean, if you look at, I mean, the, the, the one of the central tenets of Christianity is this. You're, a Christian is always willing to trade anything in this life for the next. And Paul said it better, right, is for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And so there's this part of it where once you, if you don't have that mentality, there's a form of selfishness effectively that, that you know, I mean, the, the Christian view is, is I belong to God. I'm bought by God. I'm owned by him. And the non-Christian view is, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, I'm myself. Right. And so there's this part of it where fear of when you don't have a proper fear of God, something else is going to come in to fill that void. And so, I mean, there is this part of it where selfishness is it's, it's sort of essential to be consumed by fear of all these other things. Because, I mean, I, I mean, and I think back, I mean, when you deal with really specifically bad things that happen, I mean, I've, you know, I've had it, you know, I remember a church service where someone came and told me, you know, my daughter had tripped over a coffee, uh, you know, a coffee thing and poured, you know, hot water all down her back and she had, you know, serious burns. And, you know, I mean, at the moment, I didn't know whether this could potentially be, you know, if we were somewhere else, this could have been fatal. You know, uh, there's, there's times where really, really horrible things happen where, you know, you think everything you've ever worked for, you're going to lose. You know, you, you, you can see those moments. And there's a part of it where, where fear really wants to kill you is through selfishness. Because in the end, I mean, I remember looking at these things and learning and coping with them. There was a part of it where, you know, I remember if I lost everything, I'm like, I may have to, I may have to go move in with my, fam- with my parents. That would be incredibly embarrassing. And I remember God looking at me and going, and? You, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you'd still eat. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? I mean, and, and God's like, you know I mean? And, and this is when you take Paul's thing of for me to live as, as Christ, to die as gain, I mean, there is this part of it where everything that could happen to you, the, your your problem with it happening to you is that it's you and you don't want it. And so, I mean, in the end, selfishness is the core of all of those fears because in the end, it's it's not acknowledging your position relative to God, that you really do belong to God. So one of the things that I would say to sort of summarize what God's been doing in 2020 is he's been he's been exposing idols. And in a sense, he's been showing the, the smallness of those idols. One of those idols would be our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our, our meanness. And God says, okay, fine, you love yourself so much, I will lock you up with yourself. And look <laughs> at how great that will be. And, and it's not so great for most of us. Right. And we have ways to communicate with people think about 200 years ago if it happened i mean we it's you still could talk to people on the phone you can still facetime I mean, 200 years ago they we, no one would have noticed <laughs> so what if everybody was required to be locked in? well they wouldn't right. have done that because they wouldn't have known there was anything to lock people up for but 
Yeah. Black still, Plague and stuff, people yeah. noticed. Right. He's just saying in this case, it's far COVID, more severe. But still, right. yeah, still, the uh, number of deaths here were too low without without mass communication. Yeah, you yeah, we still have uh we still have a lot of technology that <laughs> right. that helps. But you know, with with the other idols, we've talked about so many of them related to the church. He's exposed the idols of the state and how much we rely on the state. And and I don't really care what your political persuasion is, but I don't think there's anybody out there who says, oh, yeah, the government, they've done a great job this year. They really managed this well. <laughs> I, uh, across the political spectrum, I don't think anybody actually thinks that's true. And the reason the government didn't do a great job handling this is in part because they don't fear God, but also in part because this is from God, and God specifically sent it so that it would be hard for them to manage. And there's an expectation that the government, because we worship the government as a culture, there's an expectation that the government can solve it. And obviously the answer is the government can't solve it. It's not solvable by the government. I mean, just to think that they could solve something at medical like this, it's never happened before in the history of mankind because, and yes, it's from the hand of God, but even somebody who rejects God, they just have to look at the history and they realize they can't manage it. You know, San Francisco in the flu epidemic in 1918, they said, we've managed it. We made everybody wear masks. And then the next time that it came in a wave, they all wore a mask and they all proceeded to have one of the highest death rates. It's, it's not manageable by government. And one of the things that is a great blessing to this country is we should realize, and God is kind of going, look, it doesn't work. Government can't solve your problems. Your problems aren't government. Your problems are sin. Yeah, there's, but there's been a long, uh, long history of calamities and then the, the, the non-Christian powers that be saying we can solve it. We can do a rain dance. We can throw some, uh, you know, throw the heads of some human victims down, down the side of our temple, and that's going to fix the problem. And today, you know, wear your mask and, and, uh, and, and we'll fix the problem. It, it doesn't work then and it didn't work, won't work now. But there are real resets that happen to a culture when people go, it doesn't work. I mean, look at Japan after World War II, where the emperor goes right. on the radio and says, I am not God. And that overthrew the religion of, of Japan. And these things, God in his mercy sends these things to overthrow false religions. Right. And that's one of the things we worship the government. That's why our government is, you know, 40% of the GDP or whatever it is. Because we worship the government. And, you, you know, one of the things that the lockdown actually ended up accomplishing is you look at all of those other idols that we worship as a culture. The lockdown has made worship of many of those idols incredibly difficult, whether it's worship of sports or worship of debauchery or, you know, all those sorts of things that, I mean, we're Americans and we're not a great moral upright people. <laughs> really? And God sent us this 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 lockdown that has made it hard for us to get together and participate together in the sorts of ways that we were rebelling against God. Except the government, of course, comes out and says, you know, there's apps and things that are intended to be allow you to immorality. Well, of course you can still use those. I mean, it's very interesting just where the government would go, but yeah. Right. But there was an article that I think this past week that said, one of the big things that got shut down was like the New York City, not, you know, people who would go to clubs and hook up with, you know, hook up. It's killed that lifestyle right now. Right. You know, it's put an incredible damper on that lifestyle right now. It's, it's you know, a very, very, very good thing that that's happened. And I think we can we can look at types of things like this and say these are good things that, that this is happening in society, even though these people that aren't going out to the clubs every night anymore most of them are not becoming Christians, but still it's right. a good thing that sin is constrained. Even though the, the means of the constraint is not pleasant and not something we would even advocate as government rules, we can still look at it as a blessing that, you know, the, the nightlife is, is shut down. You know, spending millions and millions of dollars and millions and millions of hours on sports is, was shut down for, for months. And there's a, there's a whole list of these things where people were spending a lot of time doing things that were useless or destructive, and they, they turned. And there's, you know, big booms of people going out to, to the parks. You know, is it, is it holier to go to the park and 
be selfish than to go to uh, a bar and be selfish? No, but it is a good thing that <laughs> the sin is constrained. And well, it does less damage to society. And it's comical. I mean, if you, <laughs> it, it's really funny. If you go back and it, let's say January 1st, you went to your average Baptist minister and you said to them, hey, guess what? This year, the governor is going to declare that it's illegal to drink after a certain hour, <laughs> that it's illegal to go dancing, that you have to maintain six feet of distance from anybody who's not from your own household. <laughs> what Baptist minister wouldn't have said, yeah, I'll take that. You know, give me that. I'll, yeah, it sounds like a great year's coming up. Everyone in your church will be homeschooling. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, he sits in the heavens and laughs, Psalm 2. And the homeschooling thing's pretty funny because— the coronavirus and the decisions made to have to, you know, this home, the sending everybody and doing the remote learning, it both simultaneously made parents hate to have to spend time with their children, be unimpressed with the education that was going on, and realize that not that, you know, I mean, it, it did, I mean, at the same, you know, they both wanted to be able to send their kids back to school and at the same time not be impressed with what the school was doing. I mean, there were places that were trying to get parents not to listen in on the education, <laughs> partly because they knew that if they listened in, they would sort of realize the sort of nonsense that had been going on and that they had been calling, the, you know, what the, you know, what education was passing for. Yeah, and some parents are going, they get through their work in an hour a day. What do we do with the other six or seven hours? Right. Because they don't realize how much of it is just spent with busy work, just spent with trying to kill time, just spent right. with trying to control the children, and that, that there isn't that much learning that happens in schools. And so, and again, I do think that there's, a, you know, God, whether people will pay attention or not, but God is pointing out how, how ineffective the government is. The government is horrible at educating children. Right. It's always been horrible at educating children. Mostly what it does is spend a lot of time to put a little bit of input, and a lot of that input is pretty twisted from reality. And, and you know, when you talk about homeschooling, we have to—in our particular circles, if you're coming from a Reformed Christian perspective, if you're really way down there, you're probably not terribly fond of the public schools. And a lot of us have been praying— Did I sound fond of them, just out of curiosity? <laughs> <laughs> you're probably—you've probably prayed at some point that God would shut down the public schools. But your vision of how that happens is slow, incremental. You know, this is going to take us decades. And God shut them down across the country in the middle of the school year yeah. in a span of weeks to months from, from one coast to the other. They're all done. No kids meeting anywhere. You go through the whole summer— and classes start up, and they're not even classes, you know. So, so this is something we've actually been praying for. And God said, "Okay, here you go." Well, I, I, we, I went, not, 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 not like that. that. Yeah. You know <laughs> right. that that wasn't neat and tidy, and and you know we don't serve that kind of a God. Well, it is neat and tidy from His perspective, so it's but just not from ours. Not the way we would have scripted it. Right. And, yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things is, you know, I think about it from the perspective of some of the things that have happened. And one of the reasons why this is a good year is because it's easy to look, it's, it's like at work. Everybody kind of tries to do the work they like to do. But there are parts of work that are just hard, nasty work. And it's one of the things you teach your kids is, you know, I mean, a phrase we use a lot, this is the work. This is the work we have to do right now. So roll up your sleeves and do the work. And one of the things that God's doing is he's confronting people with certain types of work. And, I mean, so there are a lot of people who this year hasn't been that bad. It's just that they've had to do work they didn't want to do. And, and I think that's really important to note is that, that part of it is that people's lives went on. Right. And it wasn't that bad. Right. People still had children. People still spent time with their children. They spent time with their wives. They got married. They, right? I mean, you just look at the personal things that happened in people's lives, and people's lives moved on. People right. didn't stop for a year. They may have slowed down some, but they didn't stop for a year. And the reality is we can look at the macroeconomic situation, if you will, and forget the microeconomic situation. We can look and we go, you know what? I didn't need to spend 45 minutes commuting each way. I had a lot more time this year. I mean, I right. think the average U.S. commute is like 42 minutes or something. So I didn't have to drive to the office all the time. All of a sudden, I got an hour and a half back a day of my life. Right. What a precious gift. But they're looking and they're hearing about, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. And they just ignore the things that really isn't that terrible. 
and a lot of the personal close stuff isn't that terrible it hasn't a you know covid hasn't really caused that many people to be that sick most people if they got it they had a bad cold if they even knew that they had it and yet so their lives went on they had the regular joys the regular blessings and yet because there's so much fear-mongering on they're ignoring the fact that they ate every day right we should rejoice because we eat every day and pretty much everybody in this country eats every day and it's so easy to look at the big picture and go, oh, the big picture is terrible because it's terrible for everybody. And forget, no, we still had great blessings because God is a God that blesses. Even the unrighteous, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Yeah, they just uh, turn off turn off the news and actually your life is not that bad. It's actually, it's actually pretty good in a lot of ways. Um, and, and the ways that it might seem like it's not good actually probably should be ways that it is good. Spending more time with the family... That's Deuteronomy 6. That, that is what you're supposed to be doing, spending time with your children. You know, it, 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 might, it might not be easy, but it's good. I think one of the other subtexts, that is, and it's related to that, is, you know, people were given the opportunity to find out whether their lives were driven by everything around them or how much they were driving their lives. And, and there's, this, there's this sense that people have that they are what they are because of themselves. And the truth is, is people are what they are because of all these other factors. And one of the things a system is designed to do, just like you're talking about school, is the purpose of school was to keep kids busy for eight hours a day. And that was what the purpose of school was. And so it was structured so that you get here and you come in and you do this and then you go over here and you do this and then you have this activity. Six minutes get from here to here. Right. And so all these things happen. And there's a part of it where a lot of people's lives were like that. And all of a sudden some of these structures were removed. And there's a point where you almost reflect and you go, wait a minute, what do I do? And it's sort of, it's sort of I mean, there is this part of it where, like, for, for our family as home, you know, as soon as the lockdown happened, not that much changed. <laughs> I mean, we, we were homeschooling. We, I mean, it was a little tricky going to the grocery store and buying food for people, you know, for a family of 11 when, you know, they would only let you have one milk. But, but there weren't that many things that all of a sudden changed because in the end we were responsible for a lot of those things. But there were other people where all of a sudden all these things that were managed for them just stopped being managed, and they had to figure out if, if work didn't tell them to do something, if they didn't have to go to work, what, what were they going to do? And, and, it's a, and that's a blessing because you step back and you start to ask yourself, what's the purpose of my life? What's driving my life? Because the world will drive your life. The world has a plan for your life. And, and I mean, and, and that's, I think that's important for people to consider. And there was a real blessing to just having the, you know, again, it didn't affect most of us much because we all homeschool, or right. at least I did homeschool. And, you know, you got all we A's didn't shut too, down. I hear. <laughs> no, I homeschooled him, that guy at the other end of the table. And no, he didn't get all A's. Um, That's not what the, uh, the report card that I wrote said. <laughs> but, but a lot of people, what they found is that there really are some simple pleasures. And you, you see this, you know, when it, the lockdowns first happened, all of a sudden people started to cook food. They right. started to bake. They started to do these things. Where, Home improvement. <laughs> right. But they're doing all these things that they're constant out of the busyness of life. They're chasing these pleasures. And now all of a sudden they're locked at home and they find out that some th- simple things that God has put in place that we have to do. There's actually pleasures in them. There's right. pleasures in baking. There's pleasures in cooking. There's pleasures in playing around with recipes to find what you like. And all of a sudden, people found that you don't need uh, you know, a blockbuster movie about some superhero in order to have, have simple joys, that there's joys in the world that God created. Yeah, you have people that can't go to, to see this media that's, and these events that are put out by people who are hating God, and instead they're staying home and taking dominion what God's telling them to do. They're fixing their house. They're make, baking bread. They're doing things that are much, much better. We've talked so much about COVID. Or there, yeah, there's lots of other things that happened. So how do you look at the riots in Portland and stuff and go, this was good? You have a lot of people who, who, were, who rely on, were relying on the police to come and save them. When, when, when they had a problem, they would call the police, the police would show up, and you have places in downtown in downtown cities where the police put out statements saying we are not going to come help you and suddenly that reliance on government goes away and there, a lot of people went out and said i need to defend myself i need to take responsibility and you have a lot of new new gun owners people where all the uh all the permits and everything are backed up 
where because there's just so many people saying I need to defend myself. And even in a lot of communities where they were voting for anti-gun politicians like African-Americans, a huge number of African-Americans are going and buying guns. And if and if you're, you're worried about what what Biden's going to do when he comes into office, well, you know, all those people who voted for him and they just went out and bought guns, you know, you probably don't need to worry quite as much as, as he might have you believe if you read his campaign website. <laughs> and I think one of the other things very related to that is, I mean, hey, what happened in different cities was vastly different from one another. Right in Raleigh, we have a very liberal city council and a very liberal mayor. But yet the mayor still called a curfew and enforced it and shut down. So there was a couple days of rioting. Not like Portland. And all of a sudden you find out that what happened in 2016 and 2018 with electing district attorneys, you find out this has a huge impact, right? Because if you have a district attorney that would was funded by George Soros in a lot of cases, that basically says, I'm not going to prosecute anything like you go throw a stone through the window, that's not going to be persecuted or prosecuted. And so you have that, that view, all of a sudden you see these things have a real big effect, that if you have people that are lawless in government, it causes there to be some serious problems. And I think that's one of the things that has been seen in America, and maybe not by enough people, but all of a sudden you see the effect that a local official can have. That local official can say, yeah, we're going to let people break down and basically take over the streets for weeks. Or we're going to say you have to stay at home because we got you know, 4,000 votes because nobody cared about the election, but yet now all of a sudden that person has the power to cause everybody to be locked in their home for three months. I mean, all of a sudden people should be taking politics a lot more seriously. Just as we see that the government has a lot more power than it should have, it should also make us go, who do we want to be wielding that power? Because they have a lot of power, and they can take something that's relatively minor and explode it to the point where they can lock you in your house, they can put you under house arrest for months. So with the, the riots themselves, I, I mean, again, I want to go back to the theme of God destroying idols. And we have these idols about diversity and unity and and God's just showing that those things by themselves are not goods they don't they don't have some sort of existence where you can just aim at unity that you can aim at diversity and right. and then you know achieve those and then somehow have some kind of a harmonious society the bible tells us that without jesus men hate each other right and we're a society that had Jesus, we don't have Jesus, largely, and God's just exposing these things to us. And really, uh, you, you look at all of the racial tensions, and there's no good and easy and tidy political answer to those problems. The answer is, you need the blood of Christ. You need the God who became man to come in and solve these divisions among you. You need his Holy Spirit. You need his Holy Spirit. You need men to look at a man who laid down his life and say, I'll be like that. I will lay down my life for other men. And, you know, one of the things that in my personal case that this year was, you know, very shocking for was, I mean, I've gone to Nigeria twice this year. And hundreds of pastors have come out to hear me speak. And the reason that they come out to hear me speak is because all their hopes have been taken away. Because they don't know the real gospel in most cases. So they don't have that hope. So as those idols are being knocked down, they're going, wait a second, if you profess the name of Christ, you don't get rich? Instead, you get locked in your house? Instead, right? right? And so when these things get knocked down, we have to recognize these are huge opportunities for the church because the church is the one that has hope. The church is the one that can say 2020 was a good year because number one, God said it was. And number two, that means there's ways we can look at it and realize what God said, because God says, if you ask me for wisdom, I'll give you wisdom. So it's, it's attainable to understand why it's a good year. And all of a sudden the church can go out there and tell people there are answers and right now, you know, the church has stopped saying that. The church has just said, you know, come seek. We'll be seeker sensitive. We'll, we'll do what you like instead of actually saying we'll solve your problems because your problem is you're hopeless. 
Right. Because there's only hope in Christ. Everything else is hopeless. And as God knocks down idols, he's also rising up an opportunity for the church, right? It's kind of like he's, he's weeding the field so that the field's ripe for harvest because all of a sudden you can go out there and say, we have an answer why there's hope in the world because God did this for good, that there's real purposes here. And, and we, the church has to be ready and willing to open their eyes and to open their mouths and to speak of these things. And that means, uh, that means individuals. That means each of us. When, when, when people are complaining about how, how bad the year is, it's a great, uh, great chance to say, well, it wasn't for me. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean, and, and it might not be, have been for you either. And it, it doesn't need to have been for you either. And that there is hope. And so just, it's, uh, I mean, it, every end of the year is a great opportunity to sit down and, and, and think about what good things happened in my life. What things do I want to do the, in the next year? And, and just intentionally spend time being thankful which uh, our church for a few years now has, has done that gathered and, and at a time of, of everyone going around saying, here's the things that, that we're thankful for. Here's what we're looking forward to in, in the future of, of what we're, we're hoping God does in our lives. And, and it's just good to, to spend the time to be prepared so that when people, as will happen to many, many of us, say it's been a horrible year, to be ready and say, well, actually... It doesn't have to be that way. It'd be really important for the church right now to look at 2020 and glorify God. And if the church doesn't do that, if the church imitates the world and complains, that's bad. That's really bad. Anytime you open up your Bible and you look at the people of God or the people who are called the people of God and you see them complaining, they're never in a good place right then. They're either ready for discipline or destruction. You know, God takes the children of Israel out of Egypt. He leads them through the wilderness. He parts the Red Sea. He feeds them manna. And you get one chapter where God's doing something wonderful for them, and the next chapter they're complaining that, oh, we're just about to die. And that could be exactly where the church is right now. If the church is not willing to back up and say, God, what are you doing? Where's the Red Sea in all of this that is that insurmountable obstacle that you're parting? Where's that, where's that obstacle you've pushed us up against where we have no food and you're going to rain manna down from heaven? Because that's what God does for his church. And, and you're right. For somebody who's not part of that, if they're not part of God's church, 2020 may have been just a bad year. And you can't tell that person 2020 was great for them because it wasn't, because they have no hope. But you can tell them there's hope. It could have been. And you, can, and you can tell them that it could, it might have been a great year for you if you face the fact of how meaningless your life was. If you face the fact that you were so afraid of death, right, then that makes it a great year if, they, if it yes. puts the world into perspective for them properly. It makes it a great year because that's what's required for them to hear the gospel. That's what I was I was going to say is is part of this is you know I'm going to go back to the what I was talking about as children is there are times where you see your children sitting there and they have a horrible attitude and you know they they literally they just they don't get what you're trying to tell them and you can sit there I mean Proverbs says a wise man loves rebuke and the reason why a wise man loves rebuke is because he 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 just gained something from the rebuke. He was wrong, and someone showed him he was wrong. And so whether you're a Christian who had the wrong perspective or you're an unsaved person who's had, obviously, like the wrong perspective in the sense that you don't recognize who Christ is, right now, 2020 can become a good year. Because if you sit there and go, I was wrong, I was wrong, all of a sudden it brought you to this moment. And 2020 is suddenly... 2020 becomes a good year, exactly what you were saying. I mean, this is is if you turn, if you recognize, if your fear of God increases, it's it, it's you've just gained the benefit of, of 2020. And 2021 is going to be a good year as well. And that's that's fantastic. Right, and it's why Solomon says it's better to go into the house of mourning. And right. we need to recognize he's not just talking to believers there. He's talking to everybody when right. he says it is good to go into the house of mourning. It's never good to go into the house of grumbling and complaining. Right. Right. <laughs> Which is where people want to go. They want to grumble and complain instead of going, what sin have we done either individually or as a family or as a church or a nation that has caused this? Because 
God is a God who wants to give good gifts to his children. That's what the Bible says. So when we're in a season doing this, it's also the church needs to recognize it's a call to repentance. Each one of us needs to recognize it's a call to repentance. But there's real blessings to repentance. It produces the fruit, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I mean, right. it's it's not we don't look at it without hope. We look at it and go, it's great that God would care enough that he would actually chastise his church, that he would actually chastise his people, that he would actually, you know, chastise the nation. And the nation not may not repent, but his church and his people will. And if you've been looking anywhere else for hope, God's been taking that apart. <laughs> you know, if you read the book of Isaiah, there's the, the book of Isaiah is written to the children of Israel, but it says a lot about all of the nations around the children of Israel. It prophesies destruction that's going to come on all these nations around them, with the idea being that you're going to be tempted to go to some of those nations in your time of need, Israel, and this is what I have in store for them. This is how they're going to be destroyed. Don't put your trust in them. If you put your trust anywhere but in God, you're in trouble. And in a sense, that's what 2020 has been. Did you put your trust in the state? That took a hit. Did you put your trust in the political process? That took a hit. Did you put your trust in racial unity or the effectiveness of the police force and local government? That took a hit. Is your trust in science? They don't know if you should wear masks or not. They changed their minds (laughs) on it. Did you put your trust in pleasure? Did you put your trust in money? I mean, all of the things that we as Americans would like to put our trust in that are not God, God has been saying, no, I'm bigger than all of those things. You need to seek me first. So what are you most thankful about in this year? Why don't we go around and answer that question? You want to go first, Joshua? Yeah, well, I I'll, uh, I can... Uh... I'll, I'll, I'll steal uh, several of the other people's <laughs> one. I mean, we had a kid this year. So three out of four of the people on the podcast had a child or are going to have a child. And, uh, oh, going there's to have a child. <laughs> oh, that counts. Okay. okay, okay. A, it's can a, it's you a guess which one has yeah, Can you guess which one hasn't? <laughs> it wasn't the one who looked puzzled. <laughs> so, uh, and then we, we finished a house this year that I'd, we'd been building for quite a while. Those are, those are two top things. Um, yeah, we had a lot of things happen this year. Um, we had some really serious things happen in our family and it caused us, to, you know, God allowed us to better understand the depth and the seriousness of sin and the power of sin and to consider things that were going on and, and hopefully make corrections that will, that will, you know, protect some, you know, protect the family. And I mean, it was a good year. It was there were some really, really painful moments in the middle of it, and at the same time, and I've, I've seen this. I, I mentioned that like my daughter was was badly burned. And I, I've I've seen this happen multiple times. I you know, I remember when that happened. I remember how horrible it was, and I remember a year later telling someone about it, and not remembering a single bad thing about the events. Remembering everything that happened as good. And I've seen God already start to do that in real ways with things that have happened this year that at the time were very, very painful, and yet seeing the hand of God and seeing the kindness and mercy of God. So it's been a very good year in that way, as well as we're having a child, I just found out. (laughs) (laughs) And I I want to add something to what Charles just said before I let you go. But, I mean, another thing is, you know, sin was revealed, and we— want to think of the sin being revealed as a bad thing but sin being revealed is always a good thing right the hidden sin is the big problem right and it's always a blessing when god in his mercy reveals sin because then the sin stops right and so that is a good thing and that is a great blessing yes so we also had a baby this year i can lead with that one it was a it was a particularly difficult pregnancy for my wife you know she obviously bears that a lot heavier than i do but when it was over, we had a baby. And and so maybe 2020 is like that. Maybe that's just a little metaphor for it, that, that it was really hard. And in the midst of it, you know, late nights, in pain, can't go to sleep, can't roll over. It's, that's really hard. But then it's done, and you get this tremendous blessing, and you forget all that. 
it's just it becomes a memory and and now and you see what the effort was for effort that you didn't plan on that you would have traded in if you could have but you get this this incredible little boy afterward so there was that i mean and then just all of the things related to coronavirus and covid have enabled me to have conversations with people that i didn't expect to ever have coworkers been able to repair and reignite some family relationships because of this. I know it's tearing a lot of families apart, but it's had a little bit of the opposite effect in in my particular family. And I would say another thing that I'm really thankful for, why 2020 was a good year, was because of our church. Because the sort of things that we're talking about right here are just a condensation of what we have talked about over the course of all of these many months that we've all been in a sense suffering together well we've been suffering together with one another and we were doing it in the context of of a church that we we preach through books of the bible and this year we've been in exodus and exodus has been tremendously helpful and i'm i i don't know that we would be the same church i don't know that we would be having this podcast like this if we weren't there because exodus has allowed us to interpret the events around us because week after week something would happen in the news and then we sunday morning we would go to the text of scripture that said this is the god you serve this is how god acted in exodus and it's exactly the same situation that you're in this week right now and that was helpful really helpful foreshadowing for the upcoming episode (laughs) why to read exodus in a pandemic talking about the podcast right i mean this podcast came out very directly from exodus in my mind because as we hear about them leaving egypt it kept talking about they went out in armies that is repeated over and over again that he led them out by host that he led them out in armies he organizes them in armies and numbers right i mean it's the church is the the church militant it is the army and so one of the questions that i went around and asked every man in the church was is there part of the battle that you're not fighting that you should be fighting and that's where the podcast came from is various discussions that led from that and that we said we actually have knowledge that would be helpful for a broader audience and so it very much flows directly out of of me preaching on a passage in exodus about coming out by armies and saying how are we the army of god conquering his kingdom and so, yeah, I mean, uh, Exodus study has been a, a great blessing. Um, obviously, for me, you know, I have a new grandson. <laughs> you can guess which child we're talking about at the table if you want to, yeah. <laughs> and I also don't have to work on Joshua's house every week like I did for three years. So <laughs> that's another great blessing. <laughs> so, yeah, another thing is my daughter got married this year. Um, you know, as I was saying before, life moves on there's there's significant events in life and they continue to move on and they move forward um you know i I ended up preaching to more people more pastors especially this year than i ever have before you know more hours in front of more people god has opened doors and these are real blessings that you can see you can see the impact of the of the word of god and that's a tremendous blessing and people are hungry and interested in a different way than they have been in the past because of the pressure. You know, count all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing this, the testing of your faith produces patience. And that's one of the great blessings. We're supposed to count it all joy because it is a great blessing that our country has been put under pressure. And in most ways, we've failed. In most ways, the church has, church has failed. But that doesn't mean that the that the pressure of the trial is not a blessing. The trial is still a blessing, and we're still supposed to count it all joy because God's revealing what was already there, revealing of sin, revealing of divisions, revealing of these things. Light is better than darkness, and there's been a lot of light shown on this country this year that wasn't there before, and that's a great blessing when God shines forth light. And a lot of the light comes because of the heat and fire of, of being under testing and under trials, and that's, that's not a bad thing. And you can see it around, and there's, there's great opportunities. There's opportunities talking it to people at work. You just see people afraid. And I don't mean, you know, most of the people that work for me actually you know, go to Reformation, so I don't mean those individually. But, I mean, even talking to customers and talking to other people, there's just a view of the world that 
that people are having to wrestle with because it doesn't match their view. This year doesn't match their view of what the world's supposed to be like. And that's a blessing because their view needs to be shaken up because we're a country that's not in a good place. I don't know if it makes – so, I mean, one thing that I think made sense to say through this is God is good. And I mean – and I and I think there's a part of it where – Sometimes in certain Christian circles, we can kind of turn, you know, there is an absolute truth where it says that God works all things to good for his elect, for, for the called. But God is, God is the Lord of everyone, and he is good. He is a good Lord. And so there's just this part where I think one of the things that's kind of come into question this past year is just, in some ways, is just the general goodness of God, even among the church. And, I mean, God is God is good at the micro level. He's good at the macro level. You know, when when people sow crops, he lets those crops grow and he lets them get a return from it. And when people do labor, they get a return on their investment. And so, I mean, I think there's just a part of it where that just really needs to be acknowledged. Part of the reason why this year was a good year and why every year is a good year is God is good. And if God wasn't good, no year would be a good year. And so, I mean, I just, you know what I mean? I, don't, I know that's almost so fundamental, but it seems it needs to be said. I know what you're saying, and, and the reason you're saying it is the reason that we're having this podcast. Yep. Because everybody out there is saying 2020 was terrible. Right. You know, when Time Magazine puts a 2020 with a big red X on their cover and says, worst year ever. It's helpful to have some historical perspective. More than probably 70% of the people in the world have a more comfortable lifestyle than kings did 150 years ago. Right. Nobody had air conditioning 150 years ago. Food, everybody had questions about food. Even kings had questions about food. And and the idea that, you know, what, 0.001% or something of, Ameri- of the world will die of COVID? Diseases used to be far worse. Go back 150 right. years and look what the diseases are like. I mean, during the Civil War, more people died of disease than of bullets. Right. And diseases used to be a lot worse. The comforts of life, we're a very, very, very comfortable people. And we're going, look how horrible it is. Part of it is we've lost all historical perspective. God has been blessing the world in a lot of ways, through the church, largely. But he's been blessing the world, and it's been affecting all the world. I mean, now... People, you know, yeah, you get locked in the home, but you can still call, call your grandmother. You can still have contact with people. This was unheard of 150 years ago. This is just impossible. And so we look at these things and we complain about how terrible the year was. What a joke. Right. We've been more comfortable than you know, you know, the 6,000 years of history or wherever we are now. That this is one of the most comfortable years for mankind of any year in that history, and yet we're saying how terrible it is. And and the fundamental problem with that is what Charles was saying. It's because we no longer believe that God is by nature good. And that's why we wanted to say 2020 was a good year, because God is good. And yeah, and fundamentally, God is, is blessing his church, and the blessing of the church is blessing the world. And the world is getting better because the church has a good father. The church has a good husband. And the world promises. And the church has a good Lord, or the, excuse me, the world has a good Lord. Yeah. And at the end of it, whenever God's done with whatever he's doing with 2020 and however long it bleeds into 2021, at the end of it, the church is going to be better. The church is going to be stronger. Might be smaller. Well, it might just be revealed to be smaller, be, right? Yes, people who the call them, church and the people who church call themselves Christian may be smaller, <laughs> but that's okay because at the end of it, all things work together for good for the elect. And when God's done with this, He will have built up His church through what He's doing here, and the church will be better positioned for whatever the next year holds. And then the church will be better positioned for the year after that. Right. And the people of God will be blessed. And the better the church is at everything the church is supposed to be doing, the more the world gets blessed. And the world will be better off yes. because of what God's done in 2020. Right. And it's important that, that Christians put themselves in the position to think that way. 
because it is a mindset. And so if you're sitting there right now thinking how what a terrible year 2020 was, now's the time to go back and say, but what is God doing? Because he's doing it for good. If I'm his, he's doing it for good for me. Right. And you need to ask yourself that question and put yourself in that mindset so you're not in the mindset of the Israelites that are leaving Egypt that have just had the Egyptian army destroyed, and then they go, but where's the water? Right. And, and we can put ourselves in the position that we just want to look to grumble and complain, or we can put ourselves in the position of faith that says God is good and he's blessing his people. But you need to set your mindset, and all of us need to be working at it, to have a mindset that says, what is God doing that's good? Because if you look for it, it's not that hard to find. And there's two basic ways to do that. One is to worship God. And if you've been neglecting that because of coronavirus, it's time to pick that back up. And a subset of that is you need to find what you can be grateful for. In the midst of everything that is before your face that the devil would like you to complain about, that the world is saying, hey, complain with us because 2020 was terrible. You need to take a good hard look and say, how did God bless me? Right. How is God blessing me? And over and over, the Bible says that's the antidote is be grateful. Give thanks. If you do that, if you can do that for 2020, then 2021 is going to be amazing. And go find somebody that will exhort you to love and good works and go exhort somebody to love and good works, which ties directly into that. It is that that what the world is trying to do is to get us to commiserate with one another about how terrible things are. Right. The solution to that is to find people that will say, God is good. Go love your neighbor. Go love your enemy. Go love your friend. And go do what's right. And go tell others and encourage others to do what's right. And you'll realize it's a good year. Once you accept that that some of this could be a spanking from God, if you take there's a spanking flow chart, right? The parent looks at the child. The child is doing something you shouldn't be. The parent spanks the child. Then the parent looks at the child and says, is the child now doing what he should be doing? If the child is sitting there crying uncontrollably, the spanking isn't over yet. If the child is sitting there sulking, the spanking is not over yet. So, I mean, there's this part of it where you've been spanked. Are you turning and doing the work you're supposed to be doing, or are you sitting there whining and sulking? Uncross your arms, fix your attitude, and get to work, or more spanking is coming. And it's, it's, you know what I mean? Or the reality is, right, that usually what happens with the parent is the child does something wrong, and the parent first looks at them. Right. And then sometimes the parent or the child bursts out into tears. Sometimes the parent does too, but (laughs) usually it's the child that bursts out in tears. I would put us more in that category. Right. We've been looking at God has God. glanced at us and we're screaming <laughs> about how it is and we're throwing a temper tantrum. Yes. Instead, what we should say is, man, God is merciful. We deserve a lot more judgment than this, and this is all He's given us. Yep. So let's repent with this. Yes. This is the little exploratory swat you right. give this. This is the, the glance <laughs> to go, are you going to stop now that you know that I'm watching? Are you going to stop? Right. That's all we've received so far. And if we're not willing to repent, we'll receive more and it will still be good. Thank you for for joining us for the Conquering Truth podcast. We thank you for for considering the things that we're considering. It's important for us to to really think what it means that God is good. And the way that you know that God is good by looking at the world around you through the eyes of faith. So we pray that you do that. Thank you for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, You can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.